Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Welcome back to the Addiction Connection. Dr. Bell almost talked. (laughs) I did. This is COVID update number 41, based on yesterday's COVID echo, which was amazing, from Dr. Amanda Nasca once again. Amanda Nasca, Dr. Amanda Nasca. I said that. It all sounded like one word. It kind of is. It's like Heather Bell. It just kind of happens. That's true. So anyway, she's an infectious disease doctor friend of ours from uh, Essentia in Duluth. And I'd have to say Essentia has been really great at letting her come on all the time and teach everybody. It's been wonderful. Because we know how much we have no idea what she's saying. So she, of course, started with just the updated numbers from Johns Hopkins, which are now a day old. So at that point, there's almost 95 million cases of COVID-19 in the world. Yeah, 2 million deaths. Isn't that nuts? Yeah, well, we're going to hit 400,000. Think about that. We're going to be like one-fifth well, of all the deaths. Well, we probably have now because it was at just under as of this date. Yeah. Yeah, the U.S., I mean, we might as well be number one in both deaths, almost double the deaths of the next highest. Yeah, that's, that's just crazy. amazing. If you think, you know, especially when it hit China with a couple billion people. Exactly. Of course, you and, may not ever know how many people died there. Well, that's true. I mean, it's hard because, you know, the testing availability and all. Uh, yeah. Anyway, highest area in the country, L.A. County and the state of Arizona. Yeah, Arizona really blew up and uh, they have just tons of it down there. And of course, every snowbird in America is living in Arizona right now. So that's a pretty high risk area, I bet. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen much about their hospitals like we did with California. No. I don't know. They have a lot of hospitals, though, like a ton of them. That's because they have a lot of really old people. Just saying. So they all need a floor or what? No, I'm just saying, you know, you're going to need it. There you go. (laughs) But they put the Mayo Clinic down there in Scottsdale. Good idea. It's busy. Anyway, I'm going to kind of skip by the Minnesota data because that's on the MDH site. So anything on here is now old news. So, virology. As we all know, there's this new variant first found in the UK, um, is definitely now into the US. It mutates approximately half the rate of influenza and a quarter the rate of HIV is what SARS-CoV-2 is the mutating version. But now there's this variant, um, basically meaning that anybody who enters our country from any type of international destination needs a negative swab to get into the US. Yeah, you know, my running partner... Chris Hagen, I just shout out there. Uh, he actually was going to go to Mexico, and you have to, you have to get another test to come back in. Yep. And it's a very, uh, very tough deal because mm-hmm. if you're if you're positive, my God, you're going to be living in Mexico for the next six years. <laughs> well, did you just hear about that one twenty year old or whatever who was down some type of Central American country and was in the got imprisoned? For like 90 days because she broke her quarantine. They actually put like a COVID bracelet on her, like a homing device, and she took it off and then had to go to jail. But anyway, it's serious. Uh, So anyway, this new variant um, is highly transmissible, does not necessarily look as virulent. Um, The good news is, I guess, is in the U.S. we have been testing for variants 
for quite some time. And so it's not just that all of a sudden we're testing for this and now we're finding it. Um, samples have been randomly done ongoing looking for different variants. Yeah. And there's a few different ones. You got the UK B117, got a South African variant and a Brazilian variant. There you go. Sounds funny. It's just, yeah. So, so far, you know, it, 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 Mostly affects the transmissibility rather than the virulence, but yeah, nobody is talking that because of the variants we're going to have any issues with our immunizations or more hospitalizations. It's just more they're there, right? So the variant was first the B one one seven first found in the UK in September, and ten states have had it have had this variant apparently. I'll bet so. you buckets in every state. I bet. I mean. So anyway, again, no evidence it's going to affect the vaccine. Questionable higher rates of asymptomatic um, carriage, up to 59% of people having asymptomatic with this one, which is good in some regards, especially because it's more common in young adults. But, you know, there's not much said yet if it gets transmitted to higher adults, if that creates more illness. But yeah. So let's talk a little bit about delayed immunologic responses after, well, a mild COVID case. Dr. Heather Bell, it's all you. Oh, so you're jumping to that instead of encephalitis. I didn't see encephalitis. Okay. So we're going to do this one first, I guess. So mild COVID-19. So you have peak T-cell expression. So this is your kind of memory um, antibody response thing. It kind of peaks 15 days after you get infected. And... However, there is some situations, some individuals that have a delayed um, expansion of this T cells that doesn't happen for you know about a month out. And so why is this? And could this just be you have this memory T cells from a different coronavirus you know that they obtained in the past, not obviously COVID-19, but a different coronavirus? Um, or is it the second time they're getting infected and the neat thing is, is it could be more robust than that first response. And so if you have this delayed response, even with a mild uh, COVID-19, you might have actual um, better, you know, immunity even past that third month. Yeah. You know, there's some question if this is kind of what caused some of those um, increased reaction after immunization. Probably why I did. I probably had COVID. Yeah, I got super sick too. But anyway, yeah, encephalitis, that's all you. <laughs> Brain inflammation, you're pretty familiar with it. Do you have that <laughs> slide up? You know, I'm, I think I, uh, I printed this out in a way which is very confusing. Um, but I'm just going to go with it. That you're doing the clinical updates now? Uh-huh. Yeah, so the first part of the clinical updates is really the prognosis that troponin gives you. No. It's the first not? one was the SARS-CoV encephalitis. So Interesting. Anyway, we looked at the study between the U.S., Sweden, and the U.K., and they found that 13 patients with encephalitis, so inflammation around the brain, um, with documented COVID versus 21 individuals with encephalitis without COVID, and then they used 18 healthy controls. Basically, even in the patients who had COVID and encephalitis, when they did CSF studies, there was no PCR positivity within this cerebral spinal fluid. That's crazy. So, you know, we should really start like editing. So, like when I sound dumb, then we just edit that out. Sorry, like Casey, lost. don't do that. No. <laughs> like when we're lost. But in the patients who had COVID and encephalitis, they found more inflammation 
levels. IL-8, IL-6, yeah, thank you. Tum necrosis alpha, beta-2 macroglobulin. And all those things were higher in the CSF than in the patients who were COVID negative. So is this a cytokine thing? Um, you know, we all have heard about the cytokine storm now for 10 months. So very interesting. I think it's kind of cool that the, the PCR is negative as far as finding the actual virus in the CSF, but the inflammation numbers are higher. And now we are moving on to troponin. Yeah, this is really amazing, really. This whole progno- you know, prognostic, how about prognosticating? I was just thinking prognostication. Okay. Is but, that a word? <laughs> but when you get a troponin done, when you come into the hospital and you have COVID, it means a lot. It does. Uh, especially... Correlates have, dramatically. Yeah, I mean, if you've got underlying mortality. if you've got underlying coronary vascular disease and your troponin's high, uh, mortality like sixty nine percent. Isn't that nuts? So, so yeah, pray that one is negative right off. But you know, at different levels, depending on how much disease you've got and such, your risk is high with a high troponin. Yeah, so you really don't want to show up with a high troponin. Because even if you have a hydroponin without underlying cardiovascular disease, 37% mortality. Yeah. So. It's a thing. That's huge. So now if we're looking at um, CRP, this is more prognosis stuff of COVID-19, CRP and IL-6 levels, um, this whole fancy blah, blah, blah. I'm not even going to go into that. But basically, if patients with an IL-6 greater than 32 or a CRP greater than 41, more likely to have severe complications. Mm. I'm not going to talk about antibody-dependent enhancement. Oh, you're supposed to first talk about the COVID-19 prognosis with the most high-risk things. Well, and there's a few of them. There's five. If you're a guy, you're just hosed. I mean, basically... Increased severity. Yeah, increased severity if you're a guy, and I'm clearly a guy. Um, (laughs) Hyperglycemia, when you show up and your sugar's already up, that predicts more severe disease. On admission, Mm mm-hmm. Yeah, and obesity, I think we've heard that for a long time. Right. Obviously, advanced But I like age. this. Prognosis yeah. with obesity is inversely proportioned to the severity of obesity. So the more obese you are, the worse your prognosis. Yeah. And this advanced age, and I want to say this again, I said this during the echo, I don't think advanced age is greater than 65. It's probably closer to greater than 75. That's advanced. 65 Only because is like you're middle- like single digits away from 65. Yeah, but I mean like 65 is like middle age now. It's like the new 30. Wow. So. Anyway, and the, finally, the acute kidney injury, if you have kidney issues when you show up, um, worse prognosis. So, yeah, yeah, I think we can skip this antibody fancy thing. Yeah. Um, I'm going to start the next part because you're probably going to get confused. So there's oh. a couple slides on the duration of immunity after a natural infection. So they looked at over 12,000 healthcare workers in the UK, followed them for 30 weeks, so almost this entire thing. Um looked at different levels, looked at different levels of antibodies, um, looked at different PCR things. Um, So interesting, there are no symptomatic infections in those who are positive for the IgG antibodies. That is crazy. Right. Hmm. So more stuff is forthcoming. And I think the whole point of what she was talking about with this and monitoring people and healthcare workers and this, you know, prolonged, you know, immunity was more because there's this question of if people who are vaccinated, so you would have these antibodies, can transmit COVID to others. This was the big thing. So this, this data is still in the works based on this study. And so this is a great question. 
because, you know, you go place and you're like, well, I've been immunized. Okay, well, that's great for, you know, the person who's been immunized, but are you still at risk of spreading it to other people? I'm banking no. I'm Right? Because otherwise, like, how does that impact herd immunity and that whole shebang? So. I wanted to say, hey, I got my second shot. I am free. So Anyway, no. So you, even if you've been immunized, you should still be wearing masks and social distancing. We are not propagating Ugh, everybody go free at this point. <laughs> anyway, go to pregnancy. Yeah, well, COVID-19 and pregnancy, we've talked about this previously. There's been some studies that have been done, uh, and actually they did a study with 127 pregnant women. 64 had PCR results that were positive for SARS. And of those 64 women, 23, which is 36%, were actually asymptomatic. So a third. And another third had mild disease, and 11% had moderate disease. And in the pregnancy group as a whole, really only 2% had critical disease. So, I mean, it's unusual um, for the pregnant people to get severely ill. But actually, these numbers aren't that different than, Mm-mm. you know, I think initially they thought that there was very little severe disease in the pregnant group. But this clearly shows that 2% can get the critical disease, which is kind of where the regular people are. I think deaths are lower, though. I, I could be wrong, but it seems like something we saw early on was that the deaths were lower. So I think the interesting part is that even in these people who are positive, there was no detectable virus in the maternal or cord blood and no evidence of vertical transmission. In the, the neonates who the antibodies were quantified in cord blood, only one had detectable antibodies. So unfortunately, it does not look like the antibodies from mom are protective to the neonate, yeah. sadly. They tested a lot of placentas, too. They did. Yes. Um, and the good news is is the, the RNA, so the actual virus, was not detected in any of the placentas. You come to work, they're like, you're on placentas today. Thanks. Yeah. So, I don't know. Good news and bad news. Good news, there's not really this vertical transmission through multiple studies now. But bad news is it does not look like the antibody protects the babies. Mm-hmm. So uh, she actually popped something in that's something that we talk about all the time. I love this word. Addiction doctors. Syndemic. Yeah, syndemic. Because obviously we've seen, and we've seen this in our community, increased overdose deaths. uh, And just in general, increased overdose. Uh, It's been really quite dramatic. I think up 30 to 40% in Minnesota. It's crazy. So... Just keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. You can listen to the other addiction topics on our podcast here. How about diagnostics? Oh, we're jumping way ahead. Oh, what? Okay, so before we get... What, where are you? I don't okay, know. Okay, neutralizing antibody titers. I'm just going to jump through some of this really complicated things really fast. So if people have really high neutralizing antibodies, so they had more severe disease, severe critical disease are going to have higher antibody titers, as one would expect. Those are who you want to be the convalescent plasma donors. So mm. more immune protection if you have higher levels. Great. Cycle thresholds. We're not going to go through this because it's super complicated. The bottom line is um, it's probably not going to tell us much. You know, is this so the the definition is how difficult it is to amplify virus from whatever swab you're doing. Obviously, if it's harder, probably not as much virus there, but they don't really know what that means as far as whatever. So if you get a lab back and it shows the cycle threshold of whatever, doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, they have a mild illness. It doesn't mean that. No, just leave it alone. No, it's a correlation, not causation. Ooh, anyway. You sounded pretty smart. I know, right? Okay, now we're into vaccines. Oh, yeah, you're losing me. 
The race for vaccines? Yeah. So there's four different types of vaccines. Yeah. I'll just keep talking. Yeah, you'll just keep talking. They'll figure out where you are. Okay. So there's different types of vaccines. You can have an inactive, inactivated virus, a weakened virus. You can have a viral vector, nucleic acid, protein-based, yada, yada, yada. Bottom line, Pfizer and Moderna, we're using name brands because that's how they're noted everywhere right now, is this nucleic acid. So they're actually using the RNA. Um, when you're talking about the newer ones that are coming out, AstraZeneca, I don't remember what Johnson & Johnson is, but the AstraZeneca one is this viral vector. And so, well, it's an adenovirus they use to get it into the cells. Um, so yeah, basically the vaccines, like we're talking the, the mRNA ones, the Pfizer, Moderna, they kind of give you the the RNA of the the COVID, the, the coronavirus. Um, so it's not live. You're not going to get COVID from the vaccine. If you get COVID, you know, soon after getting the vaccine, it's probably because you already were going to get it anyway. Um, and so your body creates its own immune response once that mRNA is in your body. As yeah. far as how effective it is, you want to do, do the Pfizer. The Pfizer, yes. Yeah, and the Pfizer one I think is is amazing because they're getting ninety five percent overall effectiveness, and that's after twenty eight days with the first dose. So obviously that's uh, pretty amazing. That's what I've gotten. I think I don't think you got. Did you not get Pfizer? I got Moderna. Yeah, so I got Pfizer, and so I'm pretty much out of the woods. Um, and and the, the Pfizer has been shown to be really pretty safety safety uh, a safe vaccine let's start there uh you know i think all the vaccines really are coming up with pretty much the same side effects they're all the the same things we've been hearing all along and most of it's just sight of the injection that's sore and headache uh i had the headache for like a long time sucked um but it's, it's interesting i think one of the interesting things is older adults in general are reporting milder symptoms and fewer of them and if you're young well you're gonna get the bad stuff either that or young people complain more no, I think it's probably related like to you, how how good your immune response is. No, I think it's you're younger. You you got it. You complained about all the kinds of things. I didn't complain about it. I just think younger um, people expect everything. I think everything the morning is when you didn't feel good after yours, you didn't run, and I ran seven miles when I felt like dying. I'm so just saying. I, I think, think I'm more tough. Anyway, so Moderna, um, just under ninety five percent efficacy. Um, yeah, so same stuff. Fatigue. Don't really know the data yet on pregnant women and immunocompromised if it has the same efficacy. That data is forthcoming. That the benefit to the Moderna, as far as giving it, is that it's easier to store. Um, you don't have to have it in like the super duper duper deep freeze. It's just frozen and refrigerated and had the normal yeah. things. But I got a couple thousand doses in my fridge. I'm storing for somebody does look like there's a little <laughs> bit higher fatigue myalgias than with the Pfizer. You're not even going to like laugh a little. That was no. kind of funny the way it, it was spontaneously went in there. Um, so yeah, anyway. safe, safe vaccines. Um, then, of course, you've got the AstraZeneca vaccine. Yep. So I don't know anybody that's gotten that one yet. I don't, I don't, yeah, no. So they have five trial sites in the UK, so I'm pretty sure it hasn't come out yet. They're using chimpanzee adenovirus. Oh, did they draw um, blood from you? <laughs> sorry guys two doses still i guess it's more affordable so it's probably going to be used more uh, globally can you you can store it at room temperature so it's easier to use um so far the phase three results once you've gotten two full doses we're at about 72 percent efficacious um the side effects were actually it looks like a little bit both the same and yeah. said took care of 
72% a little low, but again, when you're looking at herd immunity, you know, that will get it for you. Mm. Although you might get some more people get sick, but. And of course, Johnson and Johnson's coming up with one as well. They got Same a, type, the adenovirus yeah, vector. They got old vector vaccine. But you do really well with even just one dose. Yep. Um, so there's no data yet on that percentage yet. Um, but yeah, neutralizing antibodies in greater than 90% even after the first dose. So you know, they're already, showing promise. I already brought up herd immunity. You did. Yeah, and so we can just chat about that for a moment. Um, it's interesting because it's different for different bugs. So if you look at measles, you need 95% of the population immunized to reach herd immunity. I don't think we have that anymore. Mm-mm. So that's not good. Well, and I, I I like this. This this whole point is you can't rely on natural infection alone to help with herd immunity because a lot of the people who had severe infection, you know, the, the death toll was so high. And so you have to look at who's still living that had it um, how long are their antibodies going to last? We still don't know. Um, and so they're kind of anticipating right around 60 to 70%. That's really um, where her talk got dark. Maybe, right. It got kind of dark. It's like, yeah, everybody's dead, so they don't get here. There's no herd immunity because everyone's dead. Right. So yeah. a couple things they don't know yet. The mutation is going to impact it. And then um, can you still transmit it if you've been immunized? So those are coming are, yeah, questions that will be answered, but not today. All right. So how do we treat them? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Who's going to say these drug names? Tocilizumab. That's the one I'm good at, tocilizumab. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Caressa, Caressa Rimamab. Caressa Rimamab. Imdemimab. Imdemimab is the hardest one to say, I think. Yeah. So basically, these are all your antibodies. Um, tocilizumab, the bad thing, risk of bowel perforation. They only studied things for a month. No increased rate of infection or other serious adverse events seen in the study. Um, you know, I think it's, I don't know. You you know, the other ones, the casarivimab and the indevimab um, are good with reducing medical visits. Um, ER visits. ER visits, hospitalizations by day 29. Um, the mean reduction of viral load was lower. But, you know, it... it Probably help progress, you know, prevent the progression to severe disease um, and well tolerated. That, that was kind of like the big things. Yeah. Didn't necessarily say, didn't it? It didn't necessarily say it was like gonna save everybody's life, but it did prevent the progression to severe. But didn't you need to have it like on day three? Like that's the ideal. The sooner you give it, the better. Well, some people, most people don't present until they're almost a week in. You know, now they have this little thing that let's say you can't get steroids for some reason. Now you got to have veracitinib and, and remdesivir. And that's really for people who can't take the steroids only. Uh, and really when they looked at the studies at time to recovery, uh, seven days in in the in that treated group versus eight days in the control. Right. So eh, one day better to uh, to recovery. It may not really turn out to be much, but... If you can't get steroids, that's like your only other choice. But she did make a point that this is not equivalent to dexamethasone because there really is no mortality benefit. That was the one that had no mortality benefit. Yeah, and of all the steroids, that's still the one to choose, although uh, she did talk a little bit about using prednisone in the mild cases. Outpatient. Outpatient uh, later in the disease or... Like later, like after that day 10 mark. And, of course, these are going to be super-duper expensive, yeah, some of these meds are like you got to give a kidney to get them. 
Oh, yeah. Convalescent plasma is the one you want to give in the first three days. Um, obviously, like we just mentioned, better and higher titers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. And, and the reality is that's still not like a slam dunk. Correct. Right. Death at 30 days is still 22 percent in the in the high titer group. So it's not like you're getting this and, and it's the free pass. It's still there's a lot of death in those groups. So, again, though, well-tolerated, all of those things. So, I mean, a quick, quick and dirty update. Um, you know, interestingly, I saw something on ivermectin in the news today. They just won't let that one go. Now they're talking about a bigger study that came out and there are people using it again. So we'll have to see what happens with that. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. Other than that, uh, yesterday's podcast went out. What was that about? The, the uh, MAT and jails. Oh, yeah, we did MAT and jails. So if you're interested, that's a... A fun, fun talk. And next week, well, to be announced. <laughs> so we'll let Battle Legs take over. Thanks, everybody. All right. We'll talk next week. The bus and the old tin can, the mashes, the corn, the barley, and the bran. Run like the devil from the excise man. Keep his book from rising, Barney. Keep your eyes well peeled today. The excise man is on his way. Searching for the mountain tame, the hills of Connemara. Gather up the bus and the old tin can, the mashes, the corn, the barley, and the bran. Run like the devil from the excise man. Keep his book from rising, Barney. And swing to the right, the excise man will dance all night. Drinking up the day in the broad daylight in the hills of Connemara. Gather up the pots and the old tin can, the mashes, the corn, the barley, and the bran. Run like the devil from the excise man, keep your smoke from rising, Barney. A gallon for the butcher, a quart for Tom, a bottle for old Father John to help the poor old man along in the hills of Connemara. Gather up the pots and the old tin can. Mashes the corn, the barley, and the bread. Run like the devil from the excise man. Keep his smoke from rising, Barney. Send your ground, it is too late. The excise man is at the gate. Glory to be God, he's a drinking night in the hills of Connemara. Gather up the thoughts in the old tin can. The mashes, the corn, and the barley, and the bread. Run like the devil from the excise man, keep your smoke from rising, Barney. Gather up the pots in the old tin can, the mashes, the corn, the barley, and the bran. Run like the devil from the excise man, keep your smoke from rising, Barney.